6, verse 33. We'll read that small passage of scripture for a text here tonight. Genesis chapter 26 and verse number 33. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. I want to speak just for a few moments tonight on trips to the well. Trips, trips to the well. Lord, help us tonight. We thank you and praise you, and we offer to you many thanksgiving and praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated here tonight. Trips to the well. In Israel, the southern part of Israel, at the northern tip of the Negev Desert, there is a place called Beersheba. <clears throat> there is a saying that says, I've been from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the northern part of Israel, and it is an Old Testament reflection of the northern part of the tribes that settled into the Promised Land. I've been to Dan to Beersheba. Beersheba would be at the southern part of the territory. So Dan is very, very lush, amazing. A lot of springs and streams and waters, um, the sound, the sight. It, it's an amazing place, very green. It's very lush. On the southern side, from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, is in the desert. It's not so lush, and it's not as pretty. Beersheba is a national park, and it features the ruins of an Israelite kingdom that was a fortified administrative city. It is an ancient city located in this region between the Beersheba and Hebron streams. And the Bible associates at this location the acts of Abraham and Isaac to the name of the actual city, which reads in Hebrew as the well of the oath or seven wells. So the location is central to Abraham and to Isaac. It goes all the way back to the days of Genesis chapter 26 and verse 33. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. In 1969 to 1975, Beersheba was excavated, and in 1976, it was uh, revealed in more capacity. In 1990, it underwent extensive restorations, and in 1986, the site was declared a national park. The water system was open to the public in 2003. You can actually walk down through it. I did, and it's a pretty amazing experience. And in 2005, UNESCO listed the biblical mounds, including Tel Beersheba, as a world heritage site. UNESCO stands for United Nations Education and Scientific and Cultural Organization. And they list some sites around the world. This is one of the UNESCO listed sites in the world. This is a, an ancient city. It's laid out in a particular way. I'm going to, does anyone want to see it? It's pretty fascinating. I want to show you the actual template of the city. This is it. It's illustrated here. It's an oval shape. It covers uh, an area of about 2.7 acres. Most of the structures seen here in this picture that you're looking at 
uh, are still existing in the site thanks to outstanding reconstruction and conservation works. It is a small city that is protected all around with casement walls. You can see their walls all the way around it. And uh, it is a, a tour that you can take that enters in through the outer gate. The outer gate you can see is in pink at the bottom there. That would be the east side. After you pass through the outer gate, you walk into the inner gate and there's two chambers on both sides. When you hear information in the scripture about the city gates and the elders gathering at the city gates, right inside of that outer gate, you can see there those areas on the inner gate where those sections are. There's benches there and, and places where the elders, people would bring situations before the elders. And so you make your way through the outer gate and the inner gate in that pink color on the east side, which is down here on the southern part of this illustration. And as you make your way into the city, you can see the city square. You can see the governor's palace. <clears throat> you can see the peripheral streets that lead around the city in parallel to the external walls. You can see as you enter in to the east side of the gate, a large storehouse, and that is depicted in the green. They would bring all of their foodstuffs and they would put it in that particular area. You can see a basement house that is in purple. Two pools are nearby, and that particular structure dates to the Roman period, that purple area with the pool up there. And then in the center of the city, there is, a, it's marked by the red circle, is a tower. You can go up in the tower, and you can see visually out uh, many, many miles uh, it was used for a century and security. And so this, this was a, a pretty amazing tour. You can make your way through the uh, entrance, the outer gate, the inner gate, into the city square. You can walk through the tower. And then you can actually get out of the city by going down through the shaft up there in the upper right-hand corner, which was their water supply. And in order to do that, you had to go way down a winding staircase and through some tunnels that would get you on the outside of the city. You may be wondering how many people and how many inhabitants. That's going to be interesting because it depends. It's an old city. Atel is in Israel, especially uh, with a lot of archaeology sites. They call them tells. Tells are in the ancient land. Uh, it's very historical. And so there are multiple civilizations stacked on top of each other. And so in some cases, there could be uh, close to 20 civilizations on top of each other. So you can see them because they kind of go up in a mound. So in terms of trying to figure out what the population would have been, say, in Abraham's day, it would be very difficult. And then from that uh, age, that ancient age, then you have civilizations stacked on top, even to the Roman period, which is that basement house with the pool there. And so their civilizations stacked on top of that. But in the 8th century, this was a, um, it, it was a, a garrison for officials and soldiers of the army of Judah stationed in Beersheba. And it was a regional capital of the south. 
And so that is where we can affix some kind of number to the population of this city of 2.7 acres. And the estimation of the population in this city was in between 400 and 500 people. So if everybody showed up at one time in a church service, uh, this would accommodate our church. This would be the city and the approximate size in ancient times of 400 to 500 people. On the outside, right before you enter into the outer gate and you go into the inner gate, you can see a circle with a light blue mark on it. There is a well that is established there. It is a very deep well, and it is described as Jacob's well or Abraham, depending on whether or not uh, Jacob redug this well. There's another well that's attributed to Abraham a distance away in the same general area that is older in design and in appearance. And so this uh, probably was more associated with Isaac's well. And they also uh, have a plaque that is next to the well that I'm getting ready to show you that is connected to Isaac. It's, his name is mentioned and the reference in the scripture is mentioned. This is a very deep well. It's on the southwest side of the city, uh, adjacent to the outer gate. It is approximately 210 feet deep. It reaches a depth of 150 feet lower than the level of the valley of the Beersheba stream. And so that particular depth gave the well a year-round supply of water in a desert area. And it very well may have been hewn in the time of the Iron Age, which is the 12th and 11th century B.C., before Christ. The digging of the well is mentioned by the Bible in two cases. Both of them named the city after the alliance with the, with the Philistine king Abimelech. The Bible explains that the name of the well as being based both on the Hebrew word Shiva, which means seven, and the root word of oath. And the first case that we read about is Abraham's alliance, which was arranged after a quarrel over the well hewn by Abraham's servants. It's found in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 25. <clears throat> and Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who had done this thing, neither did thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And so there was a skirmish, a confrontation surrounding this particular well. The second case is told in connection to Abraham's son, who was named Isaac, who was wandering in uh, Egypt, south on his way to Egypt during famine years. And the Philistines attempted to possess the well that was hewn or dug out by the Hebrews. And so we get the second reference to this particular well. Isaac was blessed of God. The Lord blessed him greatly. He waxed great. He grew. His livestock grew. He possessed flocks and herds. Verse 15 of Genesis 26, For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. They were envious of him. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And so Isaac pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. He dwelt there 
He digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines stopped them, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. He digged in the valley. He found there a well of springing water. The herdmen of Gerar strove with Isaac's herdmen, saying, This water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also, and he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed thence, digged another well, for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and will multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he builded an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. And so this particular well that is on the outskirts of the city is attributed based on archaeology, research, dating, techniques that go with all of that particular science, that this dates to the time of Isaac. And so here is a picture of that particular well. This is Isaac's well on the outskirts of the city. Now, I know you're just looking at that and you're thinking, huh, that's interesting, a bunch of rocks. But I'm telling you, when you are standing there and you're imagining... This is not just a pile of rocks, but this well goes all the way back. Not just anybody making a claim, but archaeologists who are saying this particular well goes into that time frame of Abraham and Isaac's day. It is a profound experience. The Bible that we read and the things that we read about in the Bible are not just made up stuff. Some people try to say, well, it's a bunch of mythology and doesn't have any connection to reality. When you're standing at something like that and you're reading from the oldest time frame of the scripture and you know emphatically this is not some pie in the sky myth or something, but you're standing, you're standing there looking down into a well that Isaac dug out when he spent some time with God and he called on the name of the Lord and he built the sacrifice and then he went through the work and the effort of digging out that well. It is a profound experience that centers yourself in knowing, knowing and understanding that the scripture is something that is fortified and is strengthened by what I'm looking at and what I'm envisioning. This is out in the middle of the desert. Look at it. That's what it looks like. It's dusty. It's a bunch of rocks. And there is a well there that helps. Why are wells so important? They are artificial openings to tap underground water supplies. And in this particular case, you've got to tap into a water supply that's 210 feet down, 150 feet below the surface of the valley floor. And so a well is extremely important. It's what settles you. And this is one of the reasons why there was contention around the well because water is a life-giving source. 
If you don't have water, you're not going to survive. And so therefore, you need a well that you've dug that is close to you that you make trips to, frequent trips to, because it is life-sustaining source that is connected to your life and your future and your present and your sustaining life and everything that is connected to who you are. It's extremely valuable. And so in the Old Testament, in these ancient times, we can see where the uses of wells and their importance meant so very, very much. There are other scriptures that describe wells and their importance. When the children of Israel entered into the promised land, in the case of Abraham and Isaac's wells, these wells were already there. They were already established. The children of Israel are coming into the promised land, and the scripture tells us there were other wells. For in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 25, they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, Wells digged vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. God led them into a land in which there were wells that had already been dug or digged. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. So they were coming into a promised land. There were wells that had already been dug. But before they ever got there, the patriarch of their faith, Abraham, had to dig some wells. Isaac had to dig some wells. And this was because they were central to life itself. Wells affected every area of life, and life was centered around not being too far from a well because that's where your sustenance comes from. You've got to make frequent trips to the well. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, I didn't want to hear anything about archaeology. So let me just insert this. You need a well that's close to you, that you make frequent trips to, that you spend some time digging out and contending for and saying, this is a life-sustaining force. I'm not letting anybody else and anyone else take this well from me. It is a valuable resource. I've got to have it to live. <laughs> Women drew water for domestic use. The closest thing that I can get to understanding wells is in Ethiopia. In a modern society like we're talking about here in the United States, you just turn on the water. But in an ancient culture like Ethiopia, you could be driving down the road and seeing herds and people walking down the side of the road, and eventually you'll get to a spot, and there'll be 50 to 100 people bringing and carrying these yellow-looking buckets. What are they doing? They're coming to the local well. They fill the buckets up, they carry them home, they use it for their cooking, they use it for their bathing, and then the next day, they've got to return back to the well. They do this daily, 
And so whenever you're crisscrossing through Ethiopia, you see this a lot. I'm telling you, it makes you so very thankful that you just turn on the water. This is something they do every single day. So in an ancient society, you can't be too far from the well because it's, your water supply is going to run out and you're going to have to get back to it. I'm, everything I'm saying has got spiritual connections, okay? <laughs> I hope in some cases you can read between the lines, but you can't get too far from the well that God provides for you. And you got to take care of it. And sometimes it's work. You got to dig out a well. It doesn't, that doesn't happen, Brother Nate. You can have all the faith in the world about a well, but in order for you to have a well and claim a well, you got to do the work of digging out the well. One of the dangers to the children of Israel that God spoke to them in the verses that I have read is you're going into a land and those wells have already been dug. Make sure that you don't get satisfied and comfortable and forget that God gave you that well. It almost would have been better for them to dig the wells out themselves because they would have taken ownership of that well and they would have said this is a well that I have dug out. It's hard work. It's hard labor, but this is my well versus a well being given to them. I'm preaching to you here tonight. There are some things that are worth working for. It may be hard labor. It may be difficult, but you got to have something that you take frequent trips to, and it's a well that brings life-sustaining water to you. You can't survive without water being close to you. Women would draw water for domestic use. Livestock were watered at the wells. Wells were many times a source of contention. We read it in Abraham and in Isaac's case, the Philistine would come over and say, this is our well. And they would say, no, this is not your well. You didn't dig this well out. We dug this well out, and so there would be contention over the water supply and the water source. If you got a well that's close by to you, you can guarantee that the enemy will try his very best to stop it up, plug it up, try to remove it. Abraham dug all these wells, and Isaac goes back, and he realizes the Philistines have, have buried them, put stuff in them, tried to stop them. Why? Because of envy and jealousy. And what did Isaac do? He had to go back, and he had to redig the wells that Abraham dug. We should never have a situation and a case that we have to go back and redig some wells because we should contend for the wells that we have close to us. I'm telling you, there are some people that have gone on. They're not here anymore, but we're here because they dug out, they carved out. It was hard labor. It was difficulty. They dug out a well that would produce some water, and we are here close to a well and water because of their effort. We can't neglect what they dug up. We've got to make sure the enemy knows this is our well here in Bakersfield, California. It's a good well. It brings water, and we're not letting anybody take over the well. The wells were landmarks.
Where's the well in your life? We're calling this area here a well because it's the lowest point in this building. It has a geographical location. We come here just like the Ethiopians in ancient societies, except we're driving vehicles and cars, but we're still coming to the same place geographically to worship God. It is a well. This place is a well. This area here is a well, and it's good to get into the well and say, I, I need the life-sustaining source of the water. They were named. They were landmarks. So wells had a definitive mark upon the daily life of the ancient inhabitants. But not only were they physical things, they were also figurative in the scripture. The use of wells. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse number 3. Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Not only is this a physical well that you're getting physical water out of, but there are wells of salvation. Praise God. I'm thankful there's a well of salvation. I want to let somebody know in Bakersfield, California, if you're trying to get water out of a well and what's coming out is nasty water, there's a well of salvation that's coming. Hallelujah. 1418 West Columbus. There have been individuals that have dug it out. There are individuals taking care of it, drawing water from it, and it's a well of salvation. I approach it with joy because I'm drawing out of a well of salvation. Jeremiah said, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Oh, I'm thankful for a moving of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the presence of God. I am thanking, I'm thankful for a fountain of living waters. We're not coming here. We're not here in an oxbow lake. What an oxbow lake is, it's a lake that 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 runs and circles to a point that it becomes sealed off from the flow of water, and so it's stagnant water that sits there like a pond and it's nasty. It's not good. We're not, we're not at that kind of a water situation. We're at a situation where there are fountains of living waters. I'm thankful for the moving of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I'm thankful for the, I'm thankful for the fountain of his anointing. I'm thankful for the fountain of his ability. I'm thankful for waters that are flowing. We're not in a desert, though we may live in a desert. Spiritually, there are waters that can be found. There is an oasis in the desert. There's a well of salvation, and I'm happy about it. I'm joyful about it because God provides it. Amen. We're not in an oxbow lake. I went to North Carolina some time ago. I was preaching at a youth conference, and we were playing softball afterwards. I had a shirt on. I just picked the shirt up. I didn't know what it was connected to. It had a saying on the front of it. And, and so I was playing softball, didn't think anything about it, and some preacher dude came up to me, and he was serious, man. I mean, he was really serious. And he said, hey, brother, he said, what does that shirt mean? And I looked at him, I said, I don't know, 
Billabong? I don't know. Billabong? He said, what does that mean? All he, I think all he was saying was bong. And to be quite honest, I didn't know, Brother Nate, I didn't know what it meant either. But it really, I mean, it wrecked his world that the night evangelist at the youth conference was wearing around a shirt that had bong on it. So I, I went home and I researched. I want to make sure. I, you know, I thought billabong seems to be some kind of a surfing thing. And so I don't think it has anything to do with smoking a bong in marijuana. But if it does, man, I've really made a serious mistake preaching here at Johnny Godier's church. So I looked it up, and it is a surfing company. It's an Australian surfing company. And Billabong is the, is the brand name that is in Australia, an oxbow lake an area that gets sealed off. It's an oxbow lake. So uh, the next conference, man, I was looking everywhere for him. <laughs> I wanted to let him know that that billabong stands for Australian oxbow lake, brother. It has nothing to do with smoking, marijuana, bong. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It's all right, okay? So, so whatever you were thinking about me, it's okay. It's going to be all right, all right? The anointing is still there, okay? I'm not preaching and then going out and smoking a bong somewhere. That's not where I get my anointing from, pal, okay? I, I'm not advertising for that at all. I'm coming here in the authority of the anointing of God's word, and I'm preaching. I want you to know that it's all good, okay? Are we okay? He said, we're okay, we're okay. It's an oxbow lake. It's an oxbow lake. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living waters, and they have hewned them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Listen, if you've got a good well... You don't need to create a cistern that can't hold waters because all you have to do is make frequent trips to the well. And what the people of Israel had done is they have created a cistern and they put water in it and it wouldn't hold. It just, it just, it went out into the ground. It was cracked. It wouldn't preserve anything. That's a type of the world. It's broken cisterns. You don't need the broken cisterns of the world. You need the well of water that springs up into everlasting life that provides the proper nourishment for you. This made God very disappointed and frustrated that they could have made trips to the well, but instead they're getting their water out of cisterns that don't even hold the water. The world's not going to hold any water, but God's going to bring you life-sustaining ability. And so there was this warning, even in the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. These, talking about people that are working against the kingdom of God. Balaam is one that is named. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. They are wells without water. And so the scripture has a, a, a very key insight and describes in great geographical location 
of wells, and not only geographical wells, but figurative wells. There is the well in the Kadesh wilderness where God speaks to Hagar. There is the well in the Paran wilderness where God meets Hagar the second time. There is the well in Beersheba where Abraham made a covenant with Abimelech. There is a well in the city of Nahor where Abraham's servant discovers Rebekah. There is the wells in the valley of Gerar as dug by Isaac. There is the well in Haran where Jacob met Rachel. There is the well in Midian where Moses met Zipporah. There is the well in the wilderness dug by the Israelites. There is the well in the village of Bahurim where two of David's spies hid from Absalom. There is the well in Ramah where Saul sought after David. There is the well in Surah where Joab met Abner. There is the well in Bethlehem where David longed to drink. There is the well in Elam where Israel drank from 12 wells in route to Mount Sinai. And then there is that well in Samaria that fuses together the location, geographical location, and the figurative sense of something that is greater. There is significance in the scripture about wells, and I'm preaching to you here tonight that there is a significance in your life about the well of water that you establish, that you carve out, that is important to you, and you need to make frequent trips to that well. It's a well that will never run dry. This Jacob's well. Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. And so he comes to a city in Samaria called Sychar. It's near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, being weary, sits down on the well. And there is a woman of Samaria, these are outcasts. The Samaritans are people that have been left behind when Assyria came in and took the northern tribes of Israel captive. They left some Israelites in the land and they repopulated the land with Assyrians. And so when those two peoples come together and they had children, they were half-breeds. And so the Samaritans were treated with disdain. Jesus is sitting on a well, and the woman of Samaria comes. Jesus says unto her, give me to drink. And the woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a woman of Samaria, to give you something to drink because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? She has all these reasons why Jesus, she has all these boundaries that you should not cross, boundaries that are built by society, boundaries that are created by history, boundaries that are created with failures, and all of those kinds of distinctions. But Jesus, he's not looking at any of the distinctions. And that's the kind of God I serve. He's not interested in the distinctions. He's wanting to know, do you want to drink from a well in which wells of water spring up into everlasting life? Doesn't matter that you're a Samaritan. Doesn't matter who you are, what you are, where you came from. Jesus is still in the salvation business, and he doesn't care about all your boundaries. We need to tear down the boundaries and say there's a revival of people who are hungry 
Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith unto you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. It's a geographical well, but he's providing a figurative understanding of the well. The woman looks at him and says, sir, you don't have anything to draw with and this well is deep. Where is this living water that you're talking about? And do you think that you're greater than our father Jacob that gave us this well, drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus looked at her and said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I'm not talking about a physical well. I'm not talking about physical water because if I give you the water that I'm talking about, it's going to be like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What was he talking about? He was talking about the free flowing ability of the Holy Ghost to flow from a well that he himself has created. You can go to a physical well. You can go to this well if you want to. And I'm thankful for it. But there is something greater than the physicality of just the physical well, the geographical well. There's the Holy Ghost that is poured out that is going to spring up into everlasting life and it flows and there is no there is no running out there is no dissipating of it this woman said sir give me this water that I thirst not Jesus said go call your husband and come hither and the woman said I have no husband Jesus said you're right you had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband woman said, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she went to the place of worship. Our fathers worship in one place. You say that we should worship in another place. Who's right? Jesus said, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor at Jerusalem. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. There's a God that creates and carves out a well, and it is a well that is deep. It's very deep. Praise God. There's a well of water that springs out of it that is connected to the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God. There's going to be times of contending for it. There's going to be times that the enemy wants to move in on it. You need to be making frequent trips to the well of the Spirit and drawing from wells of salvation and life. You can't go very long without water. I think physically you can go for about three days and then things bad stuff 
start happening to your body. Detrimental things happen to your body. And yet spiritually, we'll go for weeks without getting to the well. I'm telling you, there's got to be an effort made to make frequent trips to the well that springs up into everlasting life. I need it. I want it. It's what sustains me. It's what gives me life. Hallelujah. All the blessings and the growth that comes from who I am is connected to the well that springs up into everlasting life. Praise God. I am he. I've created a well. What would you say, Brother Green? Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well, in my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, flow out of me. Spring up, oh well, and what? And set me free. <laughs> I'm not digging in cisterns. That let the water dissipate. I found something that is valuable. Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that has created the well. Now it's a figurative well. It's not just a geographical well, but it's a spiritual well. You need to tend to your well. Isaac said, this is, this is my livelihood. I get water, it's domestic, it's what we use in our home. My livestock are fed from it, they drink from it, it is valuable. This is a valuable resource, and so I am going to contend for it. That's the geographical Old Testament understanding of a well. The spiritual understanding of the well that Jesus lays on it is it's still very important to you and your family. It's your livelihood. Don't go looking for wells and cisterns that are broken, that do not work, but find a well. Put your hand to the plow and say, I'm going to dig up a well. Praise God. If generationally you are a Pentecostal apostolic you are here because your mom or your dad or your grandfather and grandmother there may be multiple generations in your family you know why you're here it's because those future those previous generations have been digging wells abraham dug the well isaac went back he redug some wells why because he recognized the value of the well those are things that are important and so in your life if there is a well that's cluttered up by the enemy. If the Philistines have come in and they've dumped a bunch of garbage in the well, causing you to seek water in broken cisterns, I would challenge you tonight to get yourself back to the well. Make a trip to the well and say, wait a minute, this is not in working condition. This is not right. The enemy is trying to destroy something that is valuable. I'm going to take care of it. take care of it. Praise God as the musicians come tonight. Physical wells of ancient times can be anchored in our understanding of the place where we meet God, getting to the well. The spiritual well can be anchored in our understanding of the Holy Ghost. Stir up the gift of God that is in you, Paul said to Timothy. 
stir it up or crank it up. You saw in that old picture, if you've got that picture, throw it up there again. It's a representation of the well that is created. It goes deep, goes deep. But if you look to the right there, up there on that little platform, there's a hand crank there. You gotta crank that. If you're gonna get any water, it's gonna go all the way down to the water table. And you gotta crank it until it gets down. You gotta crank it until it gets all the way back up for you to get the water that is going to be your source of strength. You gotta do something. There's a cranking that has to take place. Praise God. God provides the well. But somebody's gotta do the cranking to get the water going. <laughs> Why do we come to church and why do we worship God the way that we do? Because we want the water to flow. We want there to be a spillover effect. And so that means somebody has got to start cranking and getting the water to flow. Pretty soon it comes up and then it starts feeling out the trough. Pretty soon there's water for everybody because somebody is doing the work. If you want water to come up from a well, there has to be something on the inside of you that says, I'm willing to do the work to get the water to the surface. So that it can flow. Face God. Trips to the well. Trips to the well. Trips to the well. Hallelujah. Every time I come to the house of God, I want to get into a position. You know, I know that this this whole this whole sanctuary based on Jesus understanding a well is something that you just call out on his name. Praise God. As we stand together, you call out on his name and it's there because he provided. He puts a spiritual connotation to that ancient structure that we see. But in our minds, in terms of fixing our minds, spiritually, there needs to be a well in our life that is connected to us that we make frequent trips to. Amen. And that we contend for. Amen. If you don't have water, you've got nothing. Look at that area there. It's just like that. If you were to look around, it's it's that scrubby kind of stuff. It's that dusty kind of stuff. You don't think that well's important and the water that comes out of that well, it's absolutely, it is, it is essential to your survival. We live in a world that's just like this. It is a desert land and it's essential. Everyone say essential. It's essential for survival that the Holy Ghost is operating and flowing in your life. Praise God. Brother Sean, you might know this as well as any other nurse. How long can you go without water? Three days. What happens after three days? All your organs start shutting down, all the functions of your body, all the systems in your body starts shutting down, starts affecting every part of you. You know, some people are like that spiritually. Boy, it's quiet in here. You know why you're where you are right now? Because you haven't made trips to the well. You gotta make trips to the well. The Holy Ghost has gotta be operating and flowing in your life. In order for you to survive, I'll be honest with you here tonight, I can't make it without the Holy Ghost. I can't make it without the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
I will be a failure if it's not for his anointing flowing in my life. Praise God. When's the last time you spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance? Oh, I just do that every once in a while when revival passes through. No, every service that I come in and have an opportunity to make a trip to the well, I'm going to let the Holy Ghost flow in my life. Hallelujah. I'm going to let the Spirit of God operate in my life. I am going to contend for that well. Praise God. Well, you don't really don't need the Holy Ghost. It's just a second act of grace. It's just kind of add-on thing, kind of a cherry on top. No, no. The Holy Ghost is the well of my survival. It is the life force that breathes spirituality into my life that without it, I would be walking in carnality. I'm not looking for broken cisterns. I'm looking for fountains of living water. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Where's the well in your life, sir? Where's the well in your life, ma'am? You think Isaac and Abraham would have treated this with casualness? Come to church every so often. Try to teach kids every so A lot of those trips in Ethiopia, you'll see the kids walking with the buckets along with their parents. You know why? Because those buckets are important as well. you got to carry as much water as you can back to your house. I'm talking about families that create wells. I'm not talking about a physical well. Although when we come into the house of God, we've got a physical location. I'm talking about a spiritual well that you dig out and that you contend for and that you take care of. Show us the other picture there. Let's act as if this is not a picture of Beersheba, but let's act as if this is the picture of Bakersfield. All right. Where's the well in Bakersfield? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I know there's some other churches, but I'll tell you, I'm disappointed in some churches because they're not preaching when I'm preaching here. You gotta have a well of the anointing and the power of God that is flowing, or you're just wandering around in a desert land. Dear God, help us. We gotta have revival. We've gotta have a moving of the Holy Ghost. We've gotta have the anointing. There's gotta be a well in this city. There's gotta be a well in this city. There's gotta be a well in this city. God, in conclusion of this service tonight, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is not a big altar service, but I feel like we're—I feel like what we're doing is digging. Okay, we're digging, we're digging, we're digging some things out. You got to dig some things out for yourself. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Abraham, he dug the well. You know what's unique about Isaac? He went back and he redug Abraham's wells. But when it comes to Beersheba and this well, he—he—he he, he dug the well himself. I'm so thankful for my mom's well. She's dug a well. It's been there for me. But at some point in my life, I dig my own well. And everybody in this building has to dig their own well. They have to dig some things out for themselves.
Praise God. You got the problem. The problem is, is you're you're confused because you're still living off of your parents' well. It's time for you to dig out the well. It's time for it's time for you to say, I'm going to make this a centrality of everything that I do. I'm going to care for this thing. I'm going to contend for this thing because it's what's going to save me. The well of water springing up into everlasting. Praise God. I know this is not a geographical well, but it's what we're going to call the well. I wonder if anybody would step out tonight and say, you know what? I'm going to establish in my life that there is a life-sustaining fountain that flows. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to dig my own well. I appreciate Abraham. I appreciate you digging the wells. The enemy covered them all up, and I'm, I'm redigging some of those things. But my own personal well is something that I'm going to take some time and effort myself to dig some things out for my own personal well. Praise God. Come on, young people. You may think, I'm too young to dig a well. No, you're not. You need to start digging it now because ultimately at some point, that's going to become identified with you and your future. Not easy digging wells 210 feet deep, 150 feet below the surface, but that kind of well is what's going to keep you when dry times come and difficult times come when you're that deep. I'm telling you that in the Holy Ghost, there is a well. Jesus said, it will never run dry. You put forth the work and you put forth the effort. Hallelujah. It's going to be connected to a source called Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That runs deeper than anything that the world could bring against you, in front of you. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost just for a few moments tonight. Come on. Let's press in. It's still early tonight. Let's press in for just a moment. God, help me to establish some things myself. Establish for me and my family. Not let the enemy come in and try to take away something that is so valuable without water. I can't live, I can't breathe, I can't make it. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. I feel the Holy Ghost talking to somebody here tonight. Let there be a well in Bakersfield, California, God. 